This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Obviously, Rick, big big news this week, uh, news this week that I think we will be talking about the implications for some time to come. Uh, this is uh, this is a little bit about history. It's a little bit about principle. It's about uh, uh, economics. It's a major story. Uh, Bob Dylan has sold his entire catalog. Uh, every song he wrote uh, since Song for Woody and Blown in the Wind up until you know, Murder Most Foul, which he just did. Uh, the entire catalog sold to Universal. Can we rent some of it for the, the new open music? Is that possible? Hey, Trevor, can we, can we uh, get, I, I've got a, you know, maybe uh, like a song like High Water, maybe, I mean, we, we, we can do some of the deeper cuts, right? I mean, we, we don't need to get, let's yeah, get on yeah, that. Yeah, let's, let's get, get right on that. that. Uh, but look, b- before we get to, uh, you know, the, the politics of everything else, there's been some criticism of Dylan. People have said that he has sold out. And literally, this is true. Uh, he <laughs> sold his his catalog, but give me a break. This is fine. This is a great thing, and it's. Uh, I, I'm just if the reported amount, which has not been confirmed by Dylan, of 300 million is correct. I think well, I think that, that it was a bargain. Uh, you know, this is an unbelievable collection of of songwriting. Uh, the, the the greatest songs I, I think written by you know by any single American without question. Um, but, you know, he, I mean, like, th- th- does a performer sell out when we buy tickets to go see a concert? This is, obviously an, this is obviously a desperate attempt to get Mr. Dylan to join our podcast, which he's invited to. <laughs> he's invited Bob to. Dylan, you are invited to the podcast. And by the way, we're more than happy to talk bourbon, uh, uh, whiskey. Actually, it's Tennessee whiskey. Uh, you know, Dylan, of course, has Heaven's Doors. Anyway, enough about Bob Dylan. Um, we're going to have a conversation uh, shortly uh, with... Uh, the head of the NAACP, uh, Rick, to talk about uh, the the emerging Biden agenda and the emerging Biden cabinet. Uh, obviously, there is there are several major important appointments to come, uh, nominees uh, to nominations to be made. It seems to me uh, the biggest and most consequential to come is Attorney General. And it's a big one. And you know, the, the, it's something that um, uh, is, the attorney general is going to face some of the most consequential decisions of the Biden administration uh, about how you look backward uh, at the Trump administration and also how you execute a new civil rights agenda moving in a vastly different direction. Uh, this election aftermath has taught us the importance of voting rights and of civil rights. Uh, it's all part of the mix. Uh, and It will be the, the most highly watched cabinet appointment yet. Uh, as we start to see it fell out, and remember, Vice President Biden said he would have the most diverse history uh, the most diverse cabinet in history uh, around uh, gender and racial lines, also around uh, around uh, uh, basically what he has said is that no one's ever going to come close. And, and it's a very high bar that he has set. And um, a lot of people are watching. And, and we, had, we saw the announcement of the healthcare team, obviously, in the context of the immediate challenge that President-elect Biden faces, which is uh, how to deal with this pandemic, how to ensure that the 
uh, vaccine program, uh, the, the rollout of the vaccine, the distribution of the vaccine uh, is, is done efficiently and, and, and reaches every corner of the United States of America and that people have confidence enough to ensure that the vast majority of Americans actually both can get access to this vaccine and are willing, eager to take it. I thought it was interesting. We had dueling kind of split-screen events, Rick, with President-elect Biden announcing uh, his, his health care team and at this very same time uh, Donald Trump holding what the White House billed as a, uh, a vaccine summit. Um, the president, uh, president Trump, that is, the outgoing president, the soon-to-be former president, uh, the president that, uh, that, that lost re-election on November 3rd, uh, came by this summit um, at, at the White House and you know, made a characteristically uh, Trumpy uh, set of remarks uh, about the vaccine. And, and before I play a, a little clip from, from President Trump, let's, let's stipulate that um, there have been many, many failures uh, in the way this president and this administration have handled this pandemic. Uh, but one of the one of the successes, it's not an unmitigated success. There are decisions that can certainly uh, have been challenged along the way. But 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 uh, but a true a true historic success has been the development of a vaccine, which was uh, very much supported uh, by uh, this administration. So let's listen to what uh, President Trump had to say about it. We are the most exceptional nation in the history of the world. Today, we're on the verge of another. American medical miracle. And that's what people are saying. People that aren't necessarily big fans of Donald Trump are saying, whether you like him or not, this is one of the greatest miracles in the history of modern day medicine or any other medicine, any other age of medicine. American companies were the first to produce a verifiably safe and effective vaccine. Together, we will defeat the virus and we will soon end the pandemic and we will save millions and millions of lives, both in our country and all over the world. And we've already started. So, I mean, look, look, it it has been a tremendous success. And I think that one of the things that uh, Donald Trump did uh, from the very start was to make it clear that uh, the development of this vaccine was going to be a top priority. Obviously, he had help from Congress in terms of, of ensuring that there would be virtually unlimited resources in the development of the vaccine. Uh, he had pushed his FDA uh, to, uh, to, to, to make quick approvals uh, of, of other therapeutics along the way, experimental treatments, opening up clinical trials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There is at least one major decision which is already being second-guessed, which was uh, the decision of the Trump administration not to buy uh, an additional few hundred million, maybe 500 million doses of this Pfizer vaccine, decision made within the last few months. Uh, that, that can certainly be second-guessed and will be talked about uh, in the future. But, but, but overall, the development of, of this vaccine, the, the decision uh, to uh, work with multiple pharmaceutical companies to develop a plan for the production of the vaccine even before it's finally approved so that on approval it can boom, go out. These are all these are all important steps. But you had at the very same time that the president was doing his vaccine summit, which as far as his involvement was a, an exercise in patting themselves on the back. Um, you had uh, Joe Biden presenting his healthcare team and reminding everybody that the success of the vaccine is great, but we have a very 
dark winter ahead of us in terms of this pandemic. Here's Biden. To the American people, I know we've all had a lot of sleepless nights this year. So many of you staring at the ceiling tonight worrying, my God, what happens? What happens if it strikes my family? What happens if I lose my insurance? What happens? Am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? All I can tell you is the truth. We're in a very dark winter. Things may well get worse before they get better. A vaccine may soon be available. We need to level with one another. It'll take longer than we would like to distribute it to all corners of the country, depending on how it gets started off between now and the time I'm sworn in. And then one other point, uh, Rick, about these two dueling events is it was interesting to see that uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, participated in one of them. It was a taped message that he that he that he gave, uh, but it was the Biden event because obviously he's been tapped uh, by uh, President-elect Biden to continue his work, but also to be uh, a chief health health advisor to him. So let's take a quick listen to what Fauci had to say at not the White House event, but at the Biden event. I believe, as you do, that in the fight against this pandemic, we must lead with science and that a key piece of our ongoing work is communicating consistently with the American people. I look forward to advising you on these most urgent priorities and to work with this team of world-class experts whom I have known for many years and deeply respect. I have been through many public health crises before, but this is the toughest one we have ever faced as a nation. And Rick, uh, we can be sure that Fauci will be uh, an important advisor to Biden. I think it's also a pretty safe bet that the next president won't gratuitously attack him on Twitter or, or repeat, you know, retweet hashtags that say fire Fauci. Yeah, there was a lot in what what uh, what Dr. Fauci said there about the the need to be honest with the American people and the different tones. I mean, look, we talk so much about the stakes of this transition and the fact that it took a couple of weeks for the uh, government to even recognize the obvious that uh, that Joe Biden uh, is the president elect. The fact that the president himself still has not conceded. The fact that most Republicans uh, still refuse to refer to, to Joe Biden as the president elect. This is probably almost certainly the most consequential part of the transition because there is a public health emergency and the way that this is handled, the way that this handoff happens, uh, it, it literally means lives will be saved or lost. And and I think that's the subtext for these dueling events is that there shouldn't be dueling events. There should be one event. There should be one government speaking at this moment and there should be an all-out push to make sure this vaccine is distributed safely, effectively, efficiently, uh, and, and well enough and quickly enough that, that American lives can be saved. Okay, uh, Rick, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Derek Johnson, the CEO of the NAACP. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining us now is Derek Johnson. He is the president and CEO of the NAACP. 
He met with President-elect Biden on Tuesday, along with other prominent civil rights leaders. Mr. Johnson, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So obviously the big nomination, I mean, we're waiting for many major nominations, but the really the big one that we're waiting for is Attorney General. I, I'm wondering, when you sat down with President-elect Biden up in, uh, you know, when, when you sat down with him to, 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 to speak about uh, a great number of things, did you have a specific message to him about what kind of person you would like to see, maybe even a specific name, but w- what kind of person you would like to see as Attorney General? So we talked about type of person, we didn't mention name, and we talked about the need to have someone who can walk in the door day one, who understand how uh, the Justice Department works, who can help build morale of the career employees, and immediately get started with the focus on some key primary areas like addressing domestic terrorism, addressing the public corruption that we've seen that's been so rapid, uh, look at how we can better protect the rights of citizens to vote, uh, really reposition the Justice Department to build the credibility of our justice systems, uh, which is inclusive of holding police agencies accountable, uh, particularly in the backdrop of George Floyd. So what, bring me into that meeting a bit. What, what, what is it like to sit down with uh, President-elect Biden? How, how does he take the input? What is he, how does the conversation go? It's very positive. Uh, you know, we first, you know, established that we are in a different posture with this administration. It's not adversarial. It is open for dialogue. And and many of us who walked into the room had prior uh, communications or a relationship uh, with the uh, uh, president-elect. Uh, so that was good. The vice president-elect was also in the room, and, and many, of us, many of us had worked with her during her tenure in the Senate, and, and some had knew her before she got to the Senate. So that was a, a positive uh, uh, opportunity for us to begin to talk about how we can create uh, the space for positive input uh, which, with an outcome of a successful administration to address many of the issues that the civil rights organizations uh, are concerned about. I'm curious, when, you're, when you look at the incoming administration and the range of policy priorities, the range of personnel priorities you might have, do you, do you sense an inclination to, to uh, for lack of a better term, grade on a curve because because Biden is replacing Trump and because there's such a, a, a shift in policies? Or do you feel like there's maybe more urgency around uh, around real deliverables, given the fact that uh, that that Biden has won, and and in your view, that the damage that's been done to your causes. Well, I think uh, the the real calculus here is how do we repair all the harm that the current administration have done to the system of our our governance, to the credibility of our government, and our ability to see ourselves as one nation as opposed to divided tribes. Uh, the level of tribalism that the current administration allowed to fester has really paralyzed our ability to have trust in government, to have trust uh, in each other. So this administration, uh, they have the unfortunate responsibility of restoring trust in government to restore our ability to see each other as Americans first and uh, the responsibility to enforce and rebuild uh, civil rights divisions within each of the agencies. And so his task is huge, uh, but as he built out his team, I believe he can 
uh, have a positive outcome. We, we've heard just in the last couple of days a couple of new names um, to the to the Biden cabinet. Uh, we're 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 getting the the formal unveiling today of of General Austin uh, at the Pentagon. We've also heard that Tom Vilsack is going to make a return uh, to the Department of Agriculture. Specifically on that, are, are you concerned that that there are some places where Biden is turning to people he knew before previous relationships when maybe in the case of a, of an agriculture department, there was a real opportunity to, to break new ground, maybe have a black secretary of agriculture, but also just address different issues that, that might be more relevant in 2020 than they were 10, 15 years ago. Well, it's not unusual for an elected official to tap uh, people they're familiar with because chemistry in the administration uh, it's very important to be effective. Secondly, uh, we express our concerns with several appointees. But once the president will make the decision, it, uh, it is a decision that under the discretion of the president, it is our role and goal to shift back to look at the policy priorities and the overarching uh, outcome that we are desiring. So we started the conversation to talk about policy priorities and not people. And we did that because we completely respect and honor the discretion of any president uh, to pick the cabinet. It is our job uh, on the front end before the decision is to make known our preference. But at the end of the day, uh, we respect the discretion of the president. So I, I, you didn't bring up specific names with Joe Biden when you were talking about the AG pick. Uh, but if you don't mind, I'd like to bring up some specific names with you. Um, I, there have been a number of names floating around. I, I want to throw just kind of four out there and get you get your take on, 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 on how you see these four stacking up. We've heard uh, the name Deval Patrick, obviously a, a former governor of Massachusetts. We've heard Sally Yates, who's been an acting attorney general. Uh, Doug Jones, uh, who will soon be the former uh, uh, senator uh, from Alabama. And Merrick Garland, uh, Judge Merrick Garland. Um, who's got deep experience with the Justice Department and, and <laughs> was obviously nominated but, uh, but never got a hearing uh, to be on the Supreme Court. How do, you, how, how do those, any, any of those four names kind of stand out to you as either problematic or as particularly attractive? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm working hard to stay above the picking the person and uh, as opposed to the profile. The profile needs to be someone who understand how the department operates, who can increase uh, the confidence uh, uh, and also get the support of the existing staff and have the courage to take on the hard issues that's going to be necessary, particularly around public corruptions. We are uh, looking at an administration that is perhaps the most corrupt uh, administration in recent history. Not because, you know, it's a part of the talking points, but because there have been so many people that surround the current president who have been found guilty or pled guilty to crimes. Uh, and many of those crimes were involving uh, directly or indirectly the office of the presidency or the campaign to get the president elected. Uh, so you got to have someone who's willing to uh, step right into the office in the midst of a fire and be willing to take on the fight. Because this is nothing for the faint of heart. Does that mean that, the, that, in your view, the next attorney general needs to take on 
corruption cases that occurred during the Trump administration, that that's an important priority. We know Biden has sort of deflected on this and said he'll leave it to his attorney general. But do you feel like that's an important message to send to say we are going to go after things that we saw happen during the previous administration? I think the, the, the person who walks in the door, one, need to know where all the bathrooms are. And then two, make sure we can depoliticize the Justice Department and restore confidence in the agency. And if that means going after individuals who had committed crimes, if that means addressing systemic problems that went unaddressed during this tenure, uh, so be it. Uh, but most importantly, we must depoliticize the agency. So I absolutely agree with the president-elect. It should be the discretion of the head of the agency to determine how best to proceed. So it is not re- political retribution. It is restoring justice uh, and integrity and confidence in the agency. So I know you have to go. If I can just ask you, you know, one more question about the outgoing president. Uh, You've obviously heard Donald Trump uh, make the claim that he's done more for African-Americans than any um, than any president, uh, with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln. I'm going to safely assume that you do not agree with that assessment. Uh, But but is there anything amidst uh, amidst the pandering that that, that he did on the uh, on the Confederate flag, the the, the way he handled uh, the, uh, the 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 protests surrounding George Floyd? Uh, I mean, there's obviously uh, there there are a lot of stains on his record. Charlottesville, is, is there anything that, that that you say that that actually worked out well uh, in this administration? Do you give him credit for what he likes to tout? Uh, uh, the, the the criminal justice reform bill he signed into law, uh, to to the way he's uh, he's elevated that that issue. Does he get any credit uh, uh, on the margins or anything significant? You think that he actually, uh, uh, you know, like I said, deserves credit for? Yeah, we must give him uh, credit for being a a great uh, uh, actor. Uh, he did a great job in in his role as. Uh, the apprentice, and he's done a good job in this role, but it has nothing to do with <laughs> governance, has nothing to do with accountability, and it has nothing to do with character. Uh, character is what people do in the dark when no one's looking, and, and and he showed both his character and he has been a character. And I hate to be, you know, uh, demeaning about it, but some of the things that he has done this year alone causing close to 300,000 people to die unnecessarily as a result of the lackluster response in the midst of a global uh, pandemic is so unfortunate. And, and, and as opposed to, to grieve and support families so we don't continue to rack up so many deaths, he's more concerned about his self-image and how it affects his ego. So specifically on issues of race and civil rights, he puts himself at the top, where do you put him in the list of the, the presidents that preceded him? Right. There's two good metrics we should go by. One, when you hear his statement, just realize, according to the Washington Post, he told more lies than any other president and perhaps combined, and that's documented. And two, the, the support he's provided was reflective 
in the voter turnout and how African-Americans voted in November. And I can assure you, north of 92% of African-Americans combined voted against this president. That sends a very clear message around what he has done or how he has performed as uh, as it relates to issues of concern for African-Americans. All right, Derek Johnson, the president and CEO of the NAACP, thank you for taking time to talk to us. We look forward to having you back on the podcast uh, after Joe Biden is office, and we'll see how he follows up on all of this. But thank you very much for joining us. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. That is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Uh, For Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Rick Klein, the entire Powerhouse Politics team, thank you for listening. We will be back next week.